Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 20th. In today's news, Uber plans to begin audio recordings of its U.S. rides. They say it's for your safety. The White House press secretary faces backlash after claiming without evidence that Obama's aides left nasty notes for their successors. And several troubling hate crimes have been reported from coast to coast, but also an act of grace. First, though, the big idea. The July 25th call was not perfect. Three current and former Trump administration officials described during congressional testimony yesterday how they harbored a variety of concerns surrounding the conversation in which President Trump pressed his Ukrainian counterpart to investigate Joe Biden. All three listened in on the call live. Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the National Security Council's European Affairs Director, said he considered the president's demand of the Ukrainian leader inappropriate because it could have significant national security implications for the United States. Jennifer Williams, Vice President Pence's special advisor on Europe, said she thought the call was, quote, unusual because it involved discussions of what appeared to be a domestic political matter. And Tim Morrison, the NSC's former top Russia and Europe advisor, said he worried what might happen if the call became public as it ultimately did after the whistleblower filed a complaint that jump-started the impeachment inquiry. Morrison said he didn't think anything illegal happened on the call, but he feared, quote, how its disclosure would play in Washington's current political climate. And he said his fears have been realized. The three witnesses were joined by Kurt Volker, a former Trump administration envoy to Ukraine. Today, the House Intelligence Committee will hear from a witness who's perhaps the most critical, Gordon Sundland, ambassador to the European Union, who spoke to Trump regularly and seemed to take a hands-on role in communicating the president's demands to the Ukrainians, allegedly in exchange for official acts. Republicans requested that Volker and Morrison appear as witnesses. They treated them far more gently, but their remarks did not exonerate Trump. Volker testified that while he was aware the administration was holding back aid from the Ukrainians as Trump sought investigations, he wasn't aware that it was part of any quid pro quo. He said he believed the president merely harbored a general view that corruption was rampant in Ukraine, a view he said wasn't necessarily unfair given the country's past. Volker said, too, that while he was involved in the administration's pressure on the Ukrainians to announce investigations of interest to the president, he never connected the dots to realize that probing Burisma really meant probing Biden. He said he initially believed the administration was merely interested in the Ukrainian energy company and not its former board member, Hunter Biden. He said he tried to draw a line between the two. Volker also defended Biden and said that he doesn't think the former vice president did anything wrong. Now, Volker wasn't on the July 25th call in which Trump mentioned Biden and Burisma specifically, but he said if he was, he would have objected to pursuing such an inquiry. He also remembered new details about his July 10th visit to the White House, or he said he remembered that he had forgotten or omitted in his earlier deposition. Vindman, appearing in his army dress uniform, initially spoke quickly and nervously. The sheets of paper containing his opening statement shook in his hand as he read them aloud. Later in the hearing, though, he appeared to grow more confident. While the July phone call was the focal point of much of Tuesday's testimony, Vindman and the three other officials also described unusual actions the U.S. took toward Ukraine that even now they said they don't fully understand. Williams, for example, described how Trump, after speaking with Volodymyr Zelensky in April, wanted Pence to attend the new Ukrainian leader's inauguration. She was working to make it happen. 
But then in May, she got a phone call saying the president didn't want Pence to go and the trip was off. Williams, Vindman, and Volcker testified that around this time, they were aware of the effort by the president's allies, in particular Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, to press Ukraine for investigations. Unlike the others, though, Volcker described how he involved himself directly in the matter, connecting Giuliani with Ukrainian leaders, essentially trying to humor the former New York mayor so that he could help Zelensky get a White House meeting and get the money to stand up to the Russians. Vindman testified that at that July 10th meeting with Ukrainian officials, Sunland declared that if his foreign counterparts wanted to get a White House meeting, the Ukrainians needed to provide a, quote, deliverable, which was the investigations that Trump wanted. Federal prosecutors scrutinizing Giuliani and two of his associates are following the money trail. They plan to question a top executive of Ukraine's state-owned gas company tomorrow about his encounters with these men as those two Ukrainian associates of Giuliani pursued lucrative energy deals in Ukraine earlier this year. The executive of the Ukrainian company, Andrew Favorov, an American citizen, agreed to meet with prosecutors for the Southern District of New York, who asked to speak with him about his experiences with Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. Those guys were working closely with Giuliani on the ground to gather information about the Bidens. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines not related to impeachment that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, Uber plans to begin recording audio of customers during rides in the United States. The new feature, which is first to be piloted in some Latin American cities next month, allows users to opt in to activate an audio recording on any trip or all trips, according to internal communications leaked to the post. In markets where it's available, users will be given a blanket warning that trips are subject to recording. Riders and drivers will not be able to listen back afterwards. An Uber executive says that when the trip ends, the user will be asked if everything was okay, and if it wasn't, they can, with a few taps, send the audio recording for review. The encrypted audio file would then be sent to a customer support agent who will use it to take appropriate action. The new feature raises privacy concerns over the potential to run afoul of wiretapping and eavesdropping statutes aimed at ensuring people aren't recorded without their consent. Uber is responding to criticism from many riders for safety lapses that have included physical assault, rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment. Number two, White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham is facing backlash after she claimed without evidence in an interview yesterday morning that aides to former President Barack Obama left behind disparaging messages on the day Trump was inaugurated. Grisham said that White House aides left stacks of Obama books throughout the White House and taped a big sign that said, quote, you will fail on the door of the press office before Trump aides moved in. These claims sparked a chorus of condemnation from former Obama administration officials, and many reporters who were there that day said that definitely didn't happen. Grisham then modified her assertions later in the day, changing key parts of her story and saying she viewed the alleged conduct as a harmless prank. Grisham didn't provide any evidence, though, to back up her allegations. No other administration officials made any similar allegations publicly in the 34 months since Trump entered the White House. And five former senior Trump administration officials tell us that they were there on day one and they don't remember witnessing or hearing of anything like what Grisham described. Several Obama alumni, meanwhile, including the woman who Grisham replaced as the First Lady's press secretary in 2017, tweeted pictures of the gracious notes that they left for their successors. Number three, a white teenage girl with a detailed plan for a racist attack on black churchgoers in her notebook has been arrested in Georgia. 
The 16-year-old girl was charged with attempt to commit murder after students at her high school alerted administrators that she had a notebook filled with detailed plans to kill members of the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Gainesville, Georgia. The notebook, police said, contained manifesto-type language that discussed how she wanted to assault black parishioners with butcher knives and other sharp-edged weapons. Investigators say that they believe she went to the church at some point earlier this month, possibly to carry out the attack, but she found the building empty. The local police chief says, by pure grace, the church didn't have a service that evening. Meanwhile, an Air Force master sergeant has been demoted after being accused of spreading white nationalist propaganda, but he's allowed to continue serving. The episode highlights a growing concern about active duty military officers or enlisted men, really, joining the ranks of white supremacist organizations. And a white supremacist manifesto that Syracuse University students received while studying at a library is also prompting a fresh wave of concern. Nearly a dozen racist and hate-motivated incidents have been reported on the campus in upstate New York in just the last two weeks, sparking calls for outside investigations. Finally, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, the Minnesota freshman who's part of the squad, is asking a federal judge to show compassion for a man who was convicted, took a plea deal, of making death threats against her earlier this year. Patrick Carlinio Jr., 55, of Addison, New York, entered a guilty plea in federal court for threatening to murder a federal official and for being a convicted felon in possession of multiple firearms. When FBI agents came to his home earlier this year, he told them that, quote, if our forefathers were still alive, they'd put a bullet in her head. He told investigators that he's a patriot who loves Trump and hates Muslims being in government. Although he faces up to 10 years in prison, Omar wrote a letter to the judge saying not to give him a long sentence. She said he needs compassion and restorative justice that will allow him to understand the consequences of his actions so that he can make amends. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 20th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow.